Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Congrats on 2021. We're here. We did it. We're uh, we're moving forward. And I hope this year is going to bring you many joys. I hope it's going to bring you a lot of fulfillment. And I hope you guys are chasing huge goals and and getting them done. Uh, I challenged a group of my buddies. We're on this big group text. And instead of, uh, you know, like a New Year's resolution or whatever, like I feel like you'll give that up after a week or so, uh, a couple weeks, at least if you're anything like me, um, I challenge them to think about an ambitious goal. So no resolutions this time. Let's just do ambitious goals uh, and find a group of people to support you in them, you know. Find people who love the idea and will go out of their way to help you um, along your journey and on along your way. So, um, so that's what I'm hoping for all of you guys. If you're listening to the show, um, once again, I really appreciate all your support over the last you know few years or however long you've been listening. Uh, I am super excited for this year. I already have a bunch of episodes recorded. We got some amazing stuff from some really cool folks. Um, and I thought this would be a perfect one to start. Uh, today, we're going to sit down and talk with Dave and Amy Freeman. Dave and Amy were the National Geographic Adventurers of the Year in 2014. Uh, we'll get into why in a second. Um, they've explored all over the world, all over North America, South America. Um, they've traveled over 30,000 miles together by canoe, kayak, dog sled, Um and they've also spent in 2015. This is crazy. They spent a year in the wilderness. Uh, they lived in the boundary waters, never crossed a road, never went into a building that whole entire year. It was part of their campaign to save the boundary waters. Uh, if you don't know what the boundary waters are, it is this pristine, absolutely breathtaking wilderness in northern Minnesota, uh, right on the boundary of Canada. Um, you just got to visit it. If you've been there, you know the magic of it. If you haven't, uh, listen to this episode. And I bet by the end, <laughs> you might be adding, adding boundary waters to your 2021 adventure goals. Um, they also did this amazing thing called the North American Odyssey. Uh, it was three years, um, an 11,700 mile journey across North America. They paddled from Seattle up to Alaska, and then they traveled all the way down from there to the Florida Keys. Uh, these two are absolutely incredible. Um, right now, they uh, go around to schools doing various educational programs for all sorts of people, all sorts of students. Um, you can find that out more about that at the wildernessclassroom.org. Uh, you can also look at savetheboundarywaters.org or freemanexplore.com to find out more about Dave and Amy. Um, I just kind of want to jump in, guys. Let's jump right into this awesome conversation with uh, two just incredible people. All right, let's get into it. This is the first episode of 2021. It's the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 233 with Dave and Amy Freeman. Dave and Amy were the National Geographic Adventures of the Year in 2014. 
and which is just I'm stunned and blown away to even be sitting here talking with you guys. Uh, and full disclosure, at first I was like, I brought my computer and everything outside on my porch because I'm like, I have to talk to these people outside. Otherwise, I'm going to like, like disappoint, you know what I mean? And then everybody outside just all at once decided to start using their chainsaws in my neighborhood. So, <laughs> so I'm back in the office. <laughs> but anyways, welcome to the show, guys. Well, thanks. Well, we're, we're inside too. So don't feel bad. That is true. I was, I, yeah, that makes me feel more comfortable, you know? Uh, but you know, knowing what you guys have done, it seems like you're definitely outdoors 99% of the time it feels like. So, uh, so yeah, but anyways, I want to get into all of your adventures, but, uh, let's kind of just start. Like, I want to hear about this. Like, were you always, and it, like when you met each other, were you already like adventurous people or did you kind of like build this up in, in, within each other, you know? I would say probably a little bit of both. I mean, we both were sort of like city kids, suburban kids, but we both gravitated north. I grew up outside of Chicago and Amy grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota. And we met in Grand Marais, which is a little, you know, one stoplight town on Lake Superior, 10 miles, 20 miles south of the Canadian border. And so we, we both really loved the outdoors and we were trying to figure out how we could sort of make our lives fully sort of mesh with being outside and wild places and adventures. So we yeah. sort of combined our passions together, I think. Well, and when we met, though, like Dave had done some serious expeditions already. Um, so that was part of the appeal. I was a little starstruck when I met him. I, I was quizzing him about how he pulled off these various expeditions. Um, and so she doesn't even <laughs> remember the first time that I met her. Actually, she was she was with another guy. Oh, she doesn't God. even remember me. So there's two sides of that story, but, uh, but yeah, we started paddling together. She was working, uh, leading kayaking trips on Lake Superior. And I was sort of renting office space on the third floor of, of the building that kayak shop was in. And we started paddling after work and she explained that she really wanted to kayak around Lake Superior. And I, I, I mean, without really knowing her, I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome, but you should find somebody to do it with, you know, the water average water temperature is like 42 degrees and plus it's just more fun to do it with somebody else. Uh, but it didn't take me long before I, I realized, yeah, I got to convince her that I'm the person to pal around the spirit <laughs> with her. So it sort of went from there. You're like, let me tell you about these other expeditions. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So do you guys kind of egg each other on a little bit? I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Well, so, uh, Dave, just to go back, like what were your first kind of big major expeditions that you kind of took on and why did you take them on? And what made you think you could actually like being a suburb, suburban, suburbanite, is that a thing? Like being a suburbanite, I guess, like what made you be like, I can do this. This is for me. Uh, well, you know, it all started, Fairly small for both of us. We we both started going to the Boundary Waters Canary Wilderness, which is the million acre wilderness right by where we live now, and going on canoe trips 
in the summer with our families and you know we both fell in love with it and got jobs and started working in the wilderness as outfitters and guides and so that's sort of how we started we yeah. both started separately before we knew each other and and then after college i spent a winter working for paul shirky at wintergreen dog sled lodge who i think you've already interviewed and um he's sort of this amazing polar explorer pretty much could do anything and uh so after working with him for a winter, I decided I wanted to do a, a solo winter trip across the boundary waters. And so I did that, you know, I was, I don't know, 23 or something. I just sort of scrapped it all together. And I spent about six weeks traveling through the wilderness with a sled dog. We each pulled a little sled. The dog had one, I had one. And um, my mom was really worried that I was going to fall through the ice. And so she basically insisted that I have some way that I could call for help. And, you know, there's no cell phones or anything even now that work out there. And uh, so I got the satellite phone. And then right before I left, I realized that you could, the technology was coming out. So you could post like, you know, literally postage stamp size pictures to the internet <laughs> yeah. and so I convinced like five classrooms to follow me and I I had this little blog it was like you know before blogging was even a thing I mean blogger may have been invented with the original blog but it was, yeah. oh, it was this was like 2000 you know 20 years ago and um so afterwards I went and I was strapped for cash and a couple of the schools said, Hey, come talk to my class. We'll give you a few hundred bucks if you come to our school and do an assembly. And I did that. And I, I was amazed at how much the kids had learned and how, how excited they were. And, and it just sort of, it all spiraled from there. I started this organization called the wilderness classroom and, um, slowly started doing longer and more complex expeditions. And a few years later I met Amy and then things got even longer and more complex. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Just sort of gone from there. Let me ask you this. When you get done crossing the boundary waters uh, and you're going to go into some classrooms, what's scarier being by yourself on the boundary waters for, for six weeks or going into a like room full of children and, trying to like give them a presentation <laughs> <laughs> well uh luckily for me that doesn't i don't mind i love working with kids and that's uh, good uh, yeah so that doesn't scare me <laughs> even the middle schoolers yeah i, I think they're fun they, they're a blast man i'm desensitized to it now so it's not but i remember my first time they left me in a room alone with like middle schoolers i'm like i'm gonna get eaten alive what is happening yeah. Yeah, I remember how how we treated middle school teachers when I was in middle school. Sort of frightening, like the substitutes and stuff. Oh, oof. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but no, I I love it. I I it's um I just love working with kids and introducing them to nature and and sort of sparking their imagination. I, I yeah, it's besides actually physically being out in the wilderness. That's that's definitely um, our passion. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about that? Like when you guys go into a school and do an assembly or have, I, I've, I noticed in your year in the wilderness, you know, you're having classrooms follow the adventure along the way. Um, first of all, I think that's amazing that you guys do that. I, that's, I just, I think getting kids to understand 
nature and love these places like we do is so huge in just conservation and preservation. Um, but how do you guys kind of like approach your curriculum? This is a really nerdy teacher question. So uh, apologies for people listening for fun adventure stuff, but I want to know, like, how do you approach your curriculum for this? Yeah. So, so when we started, I, I started the wilderness classroom with another guy, Eric Frost, and uh, he had, he had actually been a classroom teacher. Before. Okay. And um, so, you know, for the first 10 years or so, he developed all of the lesson plans and everything. And then, um, and then since then we've sort of expanded on that and, and uh, but, but yeah, I mean, generally we, the idea is that we're constantly producing content, you know, podcasts, uh, photos, little video clips, scientific data, sort of journal entries. Um, and we have online polls. So the kids like vote to decide sort of, you know, what, what we should study the next week or things like that. And so they can constantly interact with us uh, while, while we're out on these expeditions. And some of them last for two months, some of them last for a few years. Uh, but, but yeah, really the, all of our expeditions, the main goal is to sort of bring the wilderness virtually to people um, and, and help them understand why these places are so important and, um, you know, introduce them to unique cultures that we're interacting with and animals. And yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a big part of why we're doing it. Well, and as I, some, Oh, I'm sorry, Amy. Oh, I was just going to add that um, it, it's expanded from having Eric Frost as the, the one teacher to now having a bunch of teachers on the board. So we have like a teacher advisory committee. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, I mean, that has to be huge because it is like, it is a weird like art form is trying to figure out how to get young people passionate enough to learn and like interested enough to learn and then actually like figuring out like what should they, you know, be diving into, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you guys, um, well, I wanted to hear all about a year in the wilderness, honestly, like who came up with that idea? Like that's, it's just amazing. I, I, t I just told you my six-year-old, I told her that I'm like, yeah, these two like lived in the wilderness for a year. And she was, her face was just like lit up. Like what? That's amazing. And I also just wanted to say, if you've ever been to the boundary waters or been to like the North woods in Minnesota, I mean, there's no wilderness like that, that I've been to. And I absolutely love it. I'm a little bit jealous that you guys can just go out and start paddling even though I'm not a huge canoe fan, but I feel like if there were lakes all around, I would totally want to explore that way. So anyways, what, yeah, what, you're in the wilderness. What brought about that idea? Well, it's actually something that we had been considering for, for a while. Um, and it was one of those things, I, it, it was Dave's idea initially that he probably suggested sitting around a campfire on some other journey some evening. <laughs> yeah. um, and we thought, oh, that would be fun to do someday. And maybe thinking we would do it quite a bit later on. Um, but then the, the timing really became right for it um, because of the threat to the boundary waters. Um, there's a copper mine proposed just upstream from the wilderness area. And we saw that as a way to um, 
you know, it was our chance to kind of use our skills to, to broadcast an expedition, um, use that for, you know, not only teaching the kids about, about this wonderful wild place, but also the advocacy part of it, um, you know, getting, drawing yeah. attention to the issue, keeping it positive also, you know, just bringing people's attention to the beauty of the place, keeping it on people's minds throughout the year. Yeah, I think that's huge because I think if you dwell, I mean, there are so many negatives to that. Um, I had a guy a long time ago, we talked about Grassy Narrows in Ontario. You know, are you aware of that place? Yeah. Yeah, So that, I mean, I would go up there, me and my dad would go up and visit that area. And then I heard about Grassy Narrows and just, it was devastating. And it was from some paper mill in like the sixties and it's still destroyed to this day. Um, But I do think, like you said, if you're drawing people to the positives of like, this is this area, it's pristine, it's beautiful, um, it's remote, like you don't want to ruin this and you don't want to accidentally ruin it for, you know, hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah. So basically we were just, we paddled into the wilderness on the fall equinox of September 23rd and we didn't come back out for 366 days it was a leap year so we got an extra day we we didn't cross the road we didn't go in a building and flip a light switch you know we were in there the whole time and so every day we were i mean we were communicating with schools through the wilderness classroom like we have done on all of our expeditions uh, but but really specifically for a year in the wilderness it was reaching adults was a big part of it because we were partnering with the campaign to save the boundary waters um, and you know just sort of broadcasting it out there through social media through interviews we had the today show come in and join us you know a lot so um so it was really just helping people understand this is this is our nation's most popular wilderness you can drink the water right out of the lakes there's you know thousands of wolves that roam free in this area and a massive copper mine right on the edge of this right upstream from it we can't have this here and um you know people all across the country need to sort of stand up yeah yeah so you guys paddle in on the fall equinox is there i mean there's so many logistics that have to be involved i have to imagine it's it's funny because it is just a simple concept that probably is super complicated where it's like, Hey, we're just going to live in the woods for a year. But then it's like, Oh, what about all of these billions of questions you have to answer? <laughs> like, yeah. well, how did you guys handle that? <laughs> well, there were a few that we had not really had to work out before, like how to file our taxes. Um, because <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was wondering, about but, but like most of it, most of it, you know, it sounds weird, but it actually was, uh, compared to some of our other expeditions, it was easier. Uh, um, you know, sh- shortly before that, we'd finished a three-year, almost 12,000-mile journey by canoe, kayak, and dog sled across North America from Seattle up to the Arctic Ocean to Key West. And, you know, with that one, the logistics were crazy because we were, you know, we had to get you know, sled dogs up to northern Canada, we had to, you know, move kayaks around and dog sleds. And we were sometimes weeks and weeks between towns, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles. And 
And planning a route in places we had never been before. And nobody had been, you know, I mean, we were, sometimes we were reading, you know, reading journals from a hundred years ago, because that wow. was really the last thing we could find of someone that had traveled through there. So, um, so sort of all the skills that we sort of developed on our expeditions over the previous 15 years, we were able to put those together, both the communication aspects and the logistical, logistical aspects and just the nuts and bolts of, hey, we're gonna be out in the wilderness all the time. Yeah. You know, the skills that we needed to just sort of keep ourselves healthy and safe. Um, so yeah, in some ways there were a lot of challenges, but at the same time, it was, it was like, this is our backyard. You know, this is the place that we've spent more time than any other place where we feel most comfortable. It's just, instead of being out there for a week or two, we're just not coming out, you know? Uh, and, but we had this huge network of, of people supporting us and that's really what made it pop possible. Um, how many volunteers did we have? Was it like 300? So. Wow. <laughs> and that was like over the course of the year, people volunteered to, to drop off food for us. And it sort of started as this thing. Um, so uh, this man named Levi, who works for the campaign to save the Boundary Waters, he, he was our expedition manager. And so it started as a few people contacting him saying, hey, we're going on our annual canoe trip. Uh, can you tell us where Dave and Amy are? We'll plan our route through there and we can drop off, you know, some food for them. Um, and, but it, it really grew. I, I was amazed that people would even <laughs> trek out to us in the wintertime. Oh, I'm, I am not, I'm not amazed by that. I think people are like, I need to talk to these, these people that are out there living there the whole entire year. Like I would be fascinated, obviously, um, to, you know, go out there and be like, wow, <laughs> like, you guys have been out here this whole time. What's, you know, tell me the stories and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. And then, you know, it helped it make it real for them. And so then they could go back to their community and, and share their experiences in the boundary waters yeah. and why the boundary waters is important to them. And, and just sort of just had this ripple effect where, where you know, we could reach millions and millions of people to help them understand why the boundary waters is so special um, through our voices, but also through the voices of all these people that read about us and love the Boundary Waters and could share the story through their personal lens, you know. So, yeah, it was it was really amazing. We were feel really lucky to have been able to do it. Yeah. Why? I mean, I know that there's probably a million reasons, but why is the Boundary Waters so important to you guys? I mean, I do. I fully think though once you visit it once you're you would just understand but can you guys like put it into words like what what makes it so special because i agree with you it, it's one of the gems of the united states i think it's a few things you know part of it is the location so out west you know um you know, in colorado or idaho or wyoming th there's vast tracts of public lands um, and wilderness areas the Boundary Waters is unique because it's it's within a day's drive of Chicago and Minneapolis and Milwaukee and um, you know 
Indianapolis. It, from for the Midwest, it's really the only large wilderness area, um, and being a, over a million acres, it's the largest wilderness east of the Rockies and north of the Everglades, and it. It contains 20% of all the fresh water in all of our national forests are in the Superior National Forest, which is the Boundary Waters is part of. So that it's like 2% of the, of the national forests are the Superior National Forest, but it holds one-fifth of all the fresh water. So it's wow. very water rich. Uh, and, it, you know, it just, it's, there are hundreds and hundreds of interconnected lakes. We, we visited over 500 named lakes, rivers, and streams during our year in the wilderness. And there were still over 300 that we didn't have the time or energy to visit in a, in a year. Um, and the water is so clean, you can just dip your cup right into the lakes and drink the water right out of the middle of the lake. And, you know, it's, it's a paradise for fishing and canoeing and swimming. And um, there's no light pollution. Uh, you can look up at, at the Milky Way or sometimes see the northern lights it's 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 like no other place on earth and i think um it draws people from all over the country but but the fact that there's really no other wilderness experience that even comes close to it in the in the middle of the continent uh makes it very very special because you know, if, if you were to go out to Colorado from Chicago or something, it's just so, so much farther for you to get yeah. to a wild place. Yeah. What about you, Amy? What, what draws you to it? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a certain sense of nostalgia about it for me because it, it really opened my eyes as a kid uh, to what wild places are like. You know, I grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota, so in, in the city, in a residential area, and, and just uh, that exposure at a pretty young age was life-changing for me. Um, and since, uh, you know, I have all these memories of early canoe trips with my parents, um, there's just something about it whenever I, I you know, dip my paddle in the waters there. I, I kind of feel like I'm home. That's awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. So you guys are out there. Was there any, I mean, there has to be rough moments. There has to be wonderful moments. I mean, are there any particular ones you can, you know, think back to and still draw from? Well, there was one dramatic moment that, that comes to mind first for me, I guess. Um, and it was right around this time of year. Well, it was a bit later, but um, it was a strange year in terms of the freeze, uh, like the ice was forming sort of late in the year. Um, so we had a long stretch of time where we were just kind of waiting for the ice to form. You know, it was like too thick to crash our canoe through and too thin to walk on yet. Um, we had actually gotten a big resupply to see us through like just over a month. And, um, and we, we were kind of reaching the end of that, like, you know, we were getting past the time when we, we were expecting to be able to meet up with people to like get our toboggans and we were actually borrowing sled dogs from a friend and, you know, all this stuff was just, you know, not quite, <laughs> not quite happening yet. It was just before, uh, Christmas and, um, we were on a lake where, 
sort of the shallow portion of the lake had frozen, but then there was a big swath of open water still. And um, the temperature had been pretty cold. It had been probably eight degrees at night or something. And the next morning, a really strong wind kicked up. And so we wanted to go take a look at um, sort of the edge of the ice where we could see, you know, it's, I guess the best way to describe it is like sea smoke, <laughs> you know, it was wow. just really misty and cool looking and so Dave was like hey let's go take a picture of that and we walked on ice where you know we had walked the day before we had already checked it we we figured it was you know thick enough to walk on in that spot um but what we hadn't accounted for was the fact that the the waves coming in with the wind direction it was eroding the ice from below <laughs> And so Dave was setting up the tripod. I was standing a little farther out, actually like closer to the edge of the ice than he was. Um, and in just a matter of seconds, noticed the ice below Dave sag and break. And so he like fell through. Whoa. And at the same moment, managed to like throw the camera safely onto the good ice and uh and he didn't go in like over his head even though the water depth was definitely over his head i mean it was probably what 30 feet deep there or something um but he he managed to like catch himself so he only got wet like from his waist down oh <laughs> and i had this God. moment of you know freezing and thinking like oh geez you know what do i do like looking for the nearest tree branch to grab to hand to him or something um and also I got down on all fours to spread out my, my own weight. So I wouldn't like cause any yeah. more problems. Um, but I, I actually asked Dave in a panic, like, so what, what should I do? And he said, get the camera. <laughs> <laughs> that was all he cared about. Like he knew he was fine. He was scrambling out. And uh, fortunately that was a day when we just had, had wandered a little ways from our tent, you know, everything yeah. was set up so we just started a fire in the wood stove and Dave put on dry clothes and you know yeah totally fine um but it, it was kind of a, a wake-up call for us that it's like oh yeah you know we may <laughs> be totally comfortable out out here in this wild place but it still has some surprises for us yeah it's like it's still a crazy wild place and you know wow that's that's nuts um any any other like you know, were there any other moments that were just like overwhelming almost with how wonderful they were besides falling in the ice? Maybe not oh, an overwhelmingly wonderful yeah, moment. No, no. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, so many, um, we had, we had a pack of wolves run through our campsite at one point. This was also during that freeze up time a, a few weeks yeah. before that. And we, had paddled down one lake um, and then portage their portage trails are like hiking trails basically between the lakes. And so we carried all of our stuff over this portage to get to the next lake, but the next lake was too thick to paddle through, you know, the ice was too thick to paddle through, but it wouldn't hold our weight. And so we had to camp on the portage trail. Um, and we hoped that the next day, the, ice would be thick enough to walk across and so after it was dark we we're eating dinner in the tent and all of a sudden this pack of wolves comes running up the portage trail totally surprised because i mean this was in the early december that we were probably the only people in the wilderness 
and and they just sort of stumbled across us and uh and they just sort of went right around our tent we could hear them like um communicating with each other just like like dogs would do you know howling but also just sort of like whimpering and and um sort of communicating amongst themselves just a few feet from us Uh, it was it was really cool um is there any fear in that moment for you guys are you pretty comfortable I don't remember fear. I think we were both just totally amazed. You know, we just couldn't believe it was happening because there, there are more wolves in, in this region than anywhere else in the continental U S by far. Uh, And we see them usually in the winter running across the frozen lakes, but they're, you know, they're very elusive. And so you just catch glimpses of them and they're, you know, quarter of a mile away or half a mile away you know yeah. running across the lake or something so to, to encounter them up close is just very very rare and wow. um, yeah so we were just totally blown away by it and we had several wolf encounters uh we heard them fishing in a stream uh for um tulipy like a small fish that was spawning and we could hear them splashing and fishing in the water which is unusual um but lots of animal encounters like that, you know, it just, um, when you're out there that long, you just sort of experience things that, that you don't, if, if you're not out there. Yeah. So eventually you guys had, uh, your dog sled teams, right? Yeah. And, uh, I should maybe explain team a little bit. Like it yeah. was actually just three sled dogs. <laughs> <laughs> hey it counts as a team <laughs> right they, like they a totally pickup were, basketball team but it was just right uh because we had toboggans we didn't have like a great big dog sled that they had to pull and so so they really provided a lot of assistance with the, the power and speed to to get through with our toboggans so it was pretty great to have them um, so we borrowed those dogs from a musher friend of ours, Frank Moe. Um, he lives just outside of Grand Marais. And um, it, it was pretty great to work with those dogs because they, I mean, they had been on his racing team. In fact, one of them had been like his favorite lead dog and she was just kind of slowing down a little bit, you know, so it was good for her to like yeah. <laughs> go kind out of, on an adventure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh so, so it was really fun working with them. You know, it was kind of like having additional people in the group for a while. Someone yeah. else to talk to. And <laughs> yeah, that's what I was wondering if like, it felt like, oh, you know, there's more, we're more of a community out here now, you know? I mean, did you guys run out of things to say to each other after a while? No. <laughs> um, I mean, I think one of the things that we really like about being on sort of long journeys is I mean there's always new things there's always new challenges new sights and sounds and senses like everything's always changing but but it along with that there's a lot of repetition and so when we go to you know set up camp or do different things that we do over and over again we don't even have to talk, you know, because, because we we each know what we need to do. Um, So, so in part of it, like the silence and the not talking is actually really good, but, 
but no, we didn't. I mean, we never ran out of stuff to talk about, and we had lots of time, lots of time. You know, especially in the winter, the days are so short. Oh yeah, and a lot of time in the tent. You know, talking and reading and cooking and eating and yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I I was very curious. Like, I think the out of everything, I'm I'm most curious. Like, how did you guys? So you go in in the fall, right? And then you come out the next fall. Did you notice like a change in just you, you like individually or as a couple, you know, through this experience? Yeah, I think um, one, well, kind of two parts to, to something that happened to us. We learned how to slow down and really pay attention to our surroundings. Uh, and that's something that you would think we had achieved on other journeys, yeah. but, but we really hadn't because we had always been, you know, needing to, to go a certain number of miles a day to get from point A to point B. And since this, this trip was different, you know, we, we were just, the goal was to be out there <laughs> the whole time and experience the boundary waters. We didn't have a set number of miles to go in a day. Yeah. And so we really learned to slow down and uh, watch and listen to, to what was going on around us. So by the end of it, we were feeling like our senses were actually heightened. You know, we were hearing things, whether it's like the rustling in leaves at night or we could tell a moose was in the distance or that sort of thing. Or um, uh, like when the wild rice was coming up and ripening, we could smell the wild rice. Wow. And that's something where it's like, well, geez, we've paddled by it many times before, but yeah. that was the first time we could smell it. Wow. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, you, I guess describing your previous adventure, which was three years just all over the United States and Canada and stuff, you're always constantly on the move. It sounds like in that, and just being able to appreciate the area of where you are, um, seems really important. I'm, I am curious based off that, like, are you finding a lot of parallels to kind of being locked down with the, with the COVID restrictions and stuff like that? Like you guys, are you just like, we're kind of experts at staying in one spot at this point? <laughs> um except we're in a house and we're yeah in. that's true i know it's weird it's like the house makes it harder yeah yeah this is like the last uh yeah the last nine months have been like the the most comparatively the most normal you know i mean we, we haven't lived in a house or lived in the same place yeah long ever you know that we've known <laughs> each other um so it's a little odd um but I think there are ways that things we've learned during a year in the wilderness and our other expeditions that have really helped us. Yeah. We, we're very used to spending time together. So, so th I think that has helped us. I know, you know, some people, if you're used to going off to work and then you come home and, and you're not used to being with your family all day, every day, um, it can take, time to get used to that right there's like and, an adjustment period yeah <laughs> yeah sure. and so that um that was one thing that was nice for us we're sort of have been used to always sort of being together so that i think made it a little easier and then also just um we had learned just the importance of sort of 
being active and being outside. Yes. So even though we're living in a house now, we've really made an effort to, to continue to exercise and to continue to just spend time outside um, because we just have found that that's so important for our physical and mental health. Oh, it's, it's so huge. Even today I was like, it was kind of cold this morning, but by the afternoon I got my daughter. I'm like, we need to just sit outside in the sun for a while and we're just going to feel so much better because of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, I did want to kind of wrap up. I know you guys have done a handful of expeditions, uh, in the Amazon. Um, and I wanted to ask you really quick, were you with Paul Shirky on the, uh, um, river of doubt expedition? Yep. Dave was. I Dave, didn't go on that one. You didn't go that on that was, one? Uh, that was logistical support from afar. Nice. Nice. Very needed for sure. Um, I loved the book River of Doubt. It's like one of my favorite books ever. And so I was geeking out about that with Paul. Um, what did you find through that expedition? Like, was it weird retracing like a historical, you know, journey? Uh. Oh, that was actually a really cool part of it. You know, we've yeah. we spent a lot of time in the Amazon, but that, w that was a very unique journey because of the historical context and being able to, I mean, we had, I, I went to this archive um, at Harvard a few months before we went down there and found all these old photographs. And so we, I mean, we actually could find these places that, that you know the their expedition roosevelt and rondon and all these people had actually stood in that exact same spot you know so it was really wow. cool to be able to to see that and and see how the area had changed there were sections of the river that were still very wild and really had hardly changed at all um in fact we ended up camping someplace where later we found um, a, an uncontacted tribe had just been discovered, you know, right in the area where we had traveled through and camped. So it's still very, very wild. And then there were other sections where there were uh, cattle, you know, sort of ranch, cattle ranches and the forests had been totally cut down. So wow. it really varied. But yeah, that was amazing, amazing river and just, um, it was it was very hard even with modern equipment to so to imagine you know a former president going down this river after he was president which is yeah the like, like it's like a couple years after he was president yeah i'm gonna go down this uncharted river the largest un the longest uncharted river in the in this hemisphere yeah you know, and put it on the map like it's just it's sort of mind-boggling that that <laughs> Roosevelt did that and I that think it is. Helps, helps you really appreciate how what a unique and individual he was and you know he set aside two million acres or 200 million acres of public lands during his time in office and you know I think that sort of sense of adventure and and appreciation for for wild places and the and, and the, the importance of, of being active and physically challenging ourselves, you know, I think it was clear that, you know, he was, when he was down there exploring the Rio Roosevelt, that was like his, his cup of tea. He, he was there. loving it. Yeah. Loved you read the book and you're like, this sounds intense and 
miserable at times and you know he's just loving it also i have to say it gave me my best like cheesy science teacher joke which i'm very proud of i have to say so every year we dissect frogs seventh grade science teacher and every time we dissect frogs there's always one group in every class that's like mr ward we named our frog kermit and i just pretend like i don't get the reference and i'm like why'd you name your frog after teddy roosevelt's eldest son and they're just like, what? No, the frog. I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> and then I just walk away and they're so confused. It's my favorite. <laughs> it's the little joys of teaching. Uh, um, I wanted to ask you both really quick just to wrap up. So um, going from the Amazon to the Arctic, I have to imagine it's a different beast. Like you're paddling both and yet it has to be so different. Can you kind of like describe some of like the unique challenges that are presented in each of those environments? Mm-hmm. I think you're still processing the Kermit thing. And uh, for that, I apologize. <laughs> still laughing inside. Well, I think, you know, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, there are bugs in both places, but the yeah, bugs yeah. in South in the tropics carry diseases. Uh, I was going to say which bugs are worse, but that's a good point. Yeah. yeah, um, But the swarms can be more intense in the North. Yeah. You know, just like clouds of black flies around your head and stuff. Uh, Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, in the, in, in the tropics, it's like the rain, constant rain and humidity and heat and the sun Mm. is, so intense i mean i think that's one thing i didn't really appreciate until we were down there um because you're close to the equator it's like in the middle of the day the sun is just it's just baking you you know i mean you can like feel it burning you um and whereas in the north you know up by the arctic circle it's like you can't even feel the sun you know i mean the sun (laughs) at noon you're like please son please you know it's like you can't even feel it on your face because it's going through the atmosphere and it's just it's too low in the sky and so it's more the it's more the cold um yeah that that sort of is is the challenge wow we think one of those things where uh what's the saying like there's no such thing as bad weather only bad clothing <laughs> like when you go north and you're dealing with the cold you just put on more layers. Yeah. But when you're traveling in warm tropical environments, it, it can be kind of rough. You know, like, so there's no more. Much, and then, <laughs> then you go for a swim, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. Oh, I, I guess also I wanted to ask you guys after doing these adventures, crossing North America, staying in one spot for a year, um, everything you've done in South America, um, uh, does it, how does it affect your just perspective on the planet? Like, does it still like does staying in one place for a year actually make the planet feel much bigger? Does that make sense? Like, does it feel bigger because you're seeing like how intricate everything is and like all the interconnectedness of everything? I think a combination of the, of sort of a year in the wilderness, you know, really drilling down on this one place and sort of crossing the continent helps you 
yeah, it makes it feel really big because there's still so many places that we haven't gone. And we didn't even, we barely cracked the surface on the boundary waters, you yeah. know, and it's just this one little wild place. There's still so much to learn about that, you know, that, um, that yeah, the, I mean, the world is so vast. There's so much, so much to do and see and learn. That's awesome. Do you feel the same way, Amy? Yes. Okay. <laughs> they've, they've covered it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I want to thank you guys for coming on the show. Like, honestly, it's super pleasure talking with you. And I just think what you've done is absolutely amazing and something that I really look up to. So thank you. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. This was fun. Yeah. Where, yeah. Where can people kind of find more, uh, find out more about you guys or about future expeditions or things like that? Well, wildernessclassroom.org is where you can find out about our school assemblies and virtual school assemblies and, and all of our expeditions and savetheboundarywaters.org is where you can learn more about a year in the wilderness and, and, you know, the work that we're doing to, help protect the boundary waters awesome and we wrote a book you could read our book yes <laughs> i that is on my book list on my phone the audio book of like i'm a i'm a guy with three kids i don't have time to sit down and like read <laughs> all the time they always crawl on me when i read but uh but yeah sorry what's the name what's the title of that oh yeah it's called a year in the wilderness bearing witness in the boundary waters awesome yeah. i am definitely gonna check that out that sounds amazing so and there's like over a hundred full color photos so it's it's a real quick read Lots oh not oh i didn't know there's pictures if there's oh, pictures yeah. i'm definitely reading the book yeah tons of pictures <laughs> awesome well thank you guys uh best of luck for everything in the future yeah thank you have a great day all right huge thanks to dave and amy thank you guys for coming on um like I said, I'm for sure checking out A Year in the Wilderness. Uh, I need to order it right now. And I would highly suggest you guys do too because I just want you to imagine like in the day and age we live in, what it would be like to put everything aside and actually just go out and and live in nature for a whole entire year. Um, it's It has to be a life-changing experience. Uh, it sounds absolutely incredible so i want to i want to dig in uh and learn more about what they went through in that um right now i'm in this i'm in the middle of this gigantic biography about george washington <laughs> which has basically consumed my reading time and also like you know every night i'll just you know entertain my wife with facts about george washington that she didn't know i'm sure She's very entertained by that, but I've become a huge nerd about it and uh, have been absolutely blown away by this biography. So uh, I'm going to get through that. And then as soon as I do, A Year in the Wilderness is next. And I'm super excited to, to dive into that as well. Um, habit wise, I've been every day I write down like my to do list at the beginning of the day. Um, in fact, I saw a comic by Brendan Leonard, which he writes all the semi-rad stuff, um, which if you haven't seen, it's like featured in Outside Magazine. And it's just awesome. You should definitely follow his account online, uh, semi-rad. He does little comics and, and whatnot. Uh, and he had, he had uh, 
something about like a to-do list and it was basically like things I actually procrastinate and it was like writing a to-do list. <laughs> so I found that that if I, if I actually go at the beginning of the day and write down uh, what I need to accomplish that day, I'll actually have a much better chance of getting it done. Um, so I've been writing run, lift, yoga, read, write. So those five every single day um, in some form or fashion. Uh, also lately, uh, the last couple of weeks, I've actually taken off time, taken time off of running um, just to kind of, you know, I had a, that was the most miles I ever ran in a year uh, in 2020, mostly from having an ample amount of time and needing that release, I think. Um, and I think my body's just like, yeah, I need, I definitely need a break. So I'm taking a couple of weeks off. Uh, the plan was to start running January 1st. But we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I've been riding the bike instead, uh, exercise bike, um, which isn't as fun, isn't as beautiful. Um, but but I do feel like I definitely kind of needed that break. Um, so, And then as soon as I'm done with that break, <laughs> which I'm already excited about, uh, I have a bunch of stuff in 2021 I want to accomplish. Um, I think I mentioned in the intro uh, about my idea of audacious goals. Uh, rather than set New Year's resolutions, why don't we set these auda aud audacious, audacious? Am I pronouncing that wrong? No one knows. I'm the only person here. Um, I'll say audacious now to sound smarter, question mark. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I think if you set an audacious goal or set something that's is out of seemingly out of your reach, then the habits will fall in line. So whatever your goal is, if you're like, I have to get this done, it's something I'm scared of. It's something I feel like I, I won't be able to get done unless I, I work on it every single day. Those habits will fall in line just based on almost on fear of failure. Right. So, so that's what I would say right now this week. Um, Start thinking about that at the end of 2021. It's the end of 2021 is going to get here, whether we like it or not, right? Um, you only have that certain amount of time. You only have those 365 days to get done what you want to set out to get done. So right now, since we're at the beginning of the year, just think about next year at this time, what do I want to reflect back on 2021 and see what I accomplished, right? Like what what does 2021 Chris, you know, December 31st, Chris want to, want to think about what he was able to do within those 365 days. Um, cause it seems like a lot if you're like, yeah, in a year from now, like that seems like a long time in the future, but 300 for whatever reason to me, 365 days doesn't seem like nearly as much. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, is that, is that enough time for me to get done what I'm setting out to do? Um, and, and just thinking like, wow. And then, you know, January 2nd is going to come along and now it's 364 days and you're like, oh crap, I'm losing days. And if you aren't focusing in on your goal or at least doing a little bit every single day, I don't think you need to like go out and completely be like, okay, my life 24 seven is going to be focused on this goal. I don't think that's reasonable for a lot of us. Um, but I do think it is reasonable to spend 20, 30 minutes on a goal 
uh, on work to put in towards something every single day. That's so reasonable. Um, but eventually, you know, eventually we'll be in July and you'll be like, Oh my gosh, like half the year's gone. And then eventually you'll be in November. You're like, Whoa, the year is almost up. And just the challenge right now is, you know, what do you need to do right now today to get done what you want to get done in 2021? So, uh, something I'm thinking about, in fact, I'm about to stop recording this and then start working on my big 2021 project. Uh, not start working on it, continue. I've been putting in work every, a little bit every single day on this. Um, but I am going to do something and I feel intimidated. I feel out of my element. I'm like, Whoa, I don't know if I can accomplish this. Um, but I do know that I can get done what I set out to accomplish today in, in service of that goal. Um, and I, I feel like if I just do that every single day, then I'm going to look back at on December 31st next year and be like, whoa, I did finish. I did do it. Um, I didn't think I could, but it, once I did the little steps along the way, I was able to get it done. So, uh, and I'll share more about that in the future. Um, but yeah, that's it guys. Happy 2021. We'll be back at you next week. Super excited. Uh, like I said, I have a bunch of episodes recorded already. Um, really cool guests. So yeah, let's have ourselves a year. All right. We'll see you then.